thanks for your goodness to us. Thank you for this time that we have together. We do uh, pray for Frank and Judy. Be with them. Strengthen their uh, bodies at this time. Give them wisdom. And uh, Lord, be with our class tonight. In Christ's name, amen. So last time we began to talk about the land covenant and to introduce that, I talked a little bit about the term Palestine or Palestinian, and I just wanted to make sure that we all understood that that is not an ethnic term, it is a geographical term. It refers to a specific plot of land. And so when we think of the uh, Israeli-Palestinian conflict, that's a misnomer, okay? So that's a misnomer. Um, you can be a Jewish Palestinian, you can be an Arab Palestinian, you can be a French Palestinian. Um, so uh, we talked about that and we talked about the uh, significance of the land and I gave you four areas of significant, that it was theologically significant when God chose that land as an inheritance that he was giving to Abraham and his descendants that took on some theological significance. It has religious significance and that Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all claim something about the land, sacred to them in some way. Talked about the economic significance of the land and even the political significance of the land. Uh, then we switched over to, to look at the connection between the Abrahamic covenant and the land covenant. And uh, our conclusion to that was you really can't separate these two covenants. They go together. In fact, uh, the land covenant is part of the Abrahamic covenant. But really the thing that sets them apart, if I can speak in those terms, is that the land covenant, the land promise, is mentioned many more times in the Bible than the Abrahamic covenant. It just comes up over and over and over and over again. So we need to be aware of that. And... Um, This evening, I want to talk about the four aspects of the land covenant, the four aspects of the land covenant, at least the four that I chose to talk about here in our notes. And uh, I think, what, what's the first point in your notes under Roman numeral uh, three, four aspects of the land covenant? Okay, it's, a, it's an unconditional covenant. Um, and it's unconditional in the, just by the mere fact that it's connected to the Abrahamic covenant. And that's an unconditional uh, covenant. And so we also see in the scriptures that talk about the land that God says this is something that he will do, that he will give to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their uh, descendants. We also need to understand that the second aspect is that this is an everlasting covenant. If uh, you have your Bible there, you can turn to Genesis chapter 17. 
Genesis chapter 17. Verse 7. It says there, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Verse 8, also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So here's God, <coughs> excuse me, here's God saying, I'm doing it, unconditional, and it's an everlasting possession to you. The third aspect of the land covenant is to enjoy it, to enjoy the land is based on a condition, okay? Now, the land covenant itself is not based on a condition, but for the personal enjoyment of any individual Jew or any generation, single generation of Jews, it is based upon a condition. And the condition is following the Mosaic covenant. And so if Jews want to enjoy uh, their inheritance of the land, they have to follow the Mosaic uh, covenant. So I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 31 through 33. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 31 through 33 says but as for you stand here by me and I will speak to you all the commandments the statutes and the judgments which you shall teach them that they may observe them in the land which I am giving them to possess Therefore, you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways in which the Lord your God has commanded you that or so that you may live and that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. So here God is telling the children of Israel, um, you have to follow my commandments in order for you to live, be well or enjoy the land and be prolonged in the land. So uh, even though God has made this unconditional promise uh, that this land, this promised land, is to the Jews, their enjoyment of it isn't automatic, isn't automatic. If, if they want to enjoy the land, they have to uh, follow uh, the Lord. So you, you see here where it talks about 
uh, all the commandments in verse 31, it says all the commandments, the statutes, the judgments, which you shall teach. This is a reference to the Mosaic law. So this is, the, this is what tells them what to do so they can enjoy the land. Um, they, the Jews are to observe, obey, or follow the law in the land. And, and then there's the blessing attached to it. So, you know, they're, they're to be in the land, to, to have the land as an inheritance is one thing. But you, for you to enjoy it requires obedience is what the Lord is uh, saying here. So sort of like uh, I was talking to Danny Proctor uh, this week, and uh, he was telling me about an uncle that he had that uh, left his truck to him and that this truck was up in Roanoke Rapids. And uh, he, I mean, I guess the uncle just passed away not too long before Danny gets a phone call from somebody in the family and was really in a big rush for him to come up and get that truck. Well, the truck belonged to Danny. It was his. His uncle gave it to him as an inheritance. Even, even before his uncle passed away, the truck was Danny's inheritance. He didn't get to enjoy that until he met the condition of going up and, and getting it. So that's sort of like what's happening with the land here. Um, the fifth, or the, excuse me, the fourth thing I want us to take a look at is the, however you want to put it, I put three things down there. The reiteration, the repetition, or the reaffirmation of the land promise. And so to do this, this is going to sort of be a little short survey of the Old Testament. Okay, so um, I would, I think I give you all these passages there in your notes. So I would suggest to you either use your Bible or take notes, but don't try to do both. Okay, because you, you, you won't be able to do it. All right. Um, but. I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 12. And, and none of this is rocket science. All right? it's, it'll be quite plain and obvious to you as we go through this. this. This is where it's helpful to mark in your Bible. Because you can mark in your Bible, underline where it says the land... And what I do is I either put a LC in the margin for, you know what LC stands for? Land covenant. <laughs> That's right. So you all, if you looked at my Bible, you would know what it, what it means. So you can, or you can write out land or something like that, or, you know, covenant, put something in there to help you. So this is where marking in your Bible becomes a great uh, tool for you to use. But uh, if you look at Genesis chapter uh, 12, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 7. Genesis 12, verse 1 and verse 7. And we've already de uh, looked at this passage over and over, so I'm not going to spend hardly any time. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a what? Land that I will 
show you, show you. Now look at verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, said to your descendants, I will give this land. Okay, same land. The land that he's going to show him is the same land that he's going to send to uh, give to his descendants. Now, I'll flip over a page to the next chapter, Genesis 13, verses 14 and 15, and verse 17. Um, verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and to your descendants forever. By the way, notice how often when we read about the land covenant, God says, I'm giving it to you and your descendants. And then also notice where the qualification of or the description of everlasting or forever is also included in the statement of the land covenant. So we see that here in verse 15. Now drop down to verse 17. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I give it to you. Again, go ahead, walk through the land. I give it to you. Uh, now go to chapter 15, Genesis chapter 15, verse 7. Genesis chapter 15, verse 7. It says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and your descendants after you. I will give you and your descendants after you, what? The land of your sojourning. So the Lord is saying to Abram, I'm giving you the land that you're now in, that you're now a stranger in, that you're now a foreigner in. I'm giving this land to you, the land of your sojourning. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Okay? So that's Genesis. Now let's flip over to Numbers chapter 34. Numbers chapter 34. Numbers chapter 34, we're going to start in verse 1. Numbers chapter 34, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the sons of Israel to say to them, When you enter the land of Canaan, now we just read about the land of Canaan, didn't we? And this was part of what is being a possession to Abraham and his descendants. When you enter the land of Canaan, this is the land that shall fall to you as an inheritance. Even the land of Canaan according to its borders. Now, I'm not going to read down through the rest of this. I'm just going to highlight some things for you to take note of. Look at the beginning of verse 3. Your southern border shall extend from the wilderness of Zen. That's in the, so that's way south, right? Verse 6, as for the western border, 
is you have the great sea. So that's the Mediterranean Sea. Verse 7, and this shall be your northern border. You shall draw your border, your line, from the great sea to Mount Hor. Verse 10, your eastern border, you shall draw a line between Hazar Inan to Shafam. So there, there is the borders that are given. This is the land of Canaan. Okay. Now let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 5. By the way, that number's 34. That's the place where you mark in your Bible borders, land covenant borders. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 5. Okay, the, the thing to remember here is the children of Israel have already been wandering the wilderness for 40 years, and they, they are prepared now to enter the land. And it says in verse 5, The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it, and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. So coming to the land, coming back to the land. Um, now turn to Joshua chapter 1. So just a couple pages to the right. Joshua chapter 1, verse 2. So we went from Abraham. And uh, we, did, we just kind of skipped over Isaac and Jacob. And then he lent mention of the land there. And I, I did that because when you see the subsequent mentions of the land promise, well, you know it was also went through them. So here's Joshua chapter 1, verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. So the promise of the land is not just to Abraham. It's to the children of Israel. That's a big, big thing. And remember, it's the children of Israel that the land is given to. Um, so by the way, this tells us, this tells us that up to this point, the, the land promise has not been fulfilled. Has not been fulfilled up to this point. Um, we'll t might take a little bit of a look at this later, but we need to keep in mind too that when you get to Judges chapter one, actually it mentions this in Joshua as well, but when you get to Judges chapter one, we see that even when the children of Israel go into the land and they conquer the land, they did not possess the land totally in the way that God told them to do. Okay? They didn't do it. So they're, they're, 
Even when they go in and the land in Joshua, they're not possessing all that God told them to possess the way that God told them to possess it. Okay, so now let's turn, keep on turning our Old Testament all the way to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 33. First Kings chapter eight, verse 33. Verse 33 says, when your people Israel are defeated before an army because they have sinned against you, when they turn back to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this temple, then here in heaven, and forgive the sin of your people and bring them back into the land which you gave to their fathers. Now, this verse is telling us, even with the promise, the land covenant, the land promise, this is not a promise that every single Israelite and every single generation will have the privilege of living in the land. Because if they sin, God's going to expel them from the land. And upon their repentance, they're allowed to come back into the land. And um, you'll know, you'll notice that this passage is the, in, in the context of Solomon's prayer of dedication for the temple. And uh, so even as Solomon is dedicating the temple, he reiterates the penalty for disobedience is removal from the land. And when there's repentance and they turn back to the Lord, there's restoration back to the land. Um, this passage does not prove that at this point in time, in Solomon's reign, that the land, all the land, has been properly possessed. But only that the land that is in view, the promised land that is in view, that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, it, the only thing we're seeing here is that there is a consequence of penalty and reward attached to it based upon obedience to the Lord. So the land, remember, keep this in mind, the land's an inheritance that God has promised to Israel. It's an inheritance. They are the inheritors. Just because you're the inheritor just because you have an inheritance doesn't mean you get it now, right? Doesn't mean you get it all now. So keep that in mind. Um, turn over maybe a page to chapter 9, verse 7. Chapter 9, 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 7. It says, uh, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them. And this house which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. So here's very similar to what we saw in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 33 and 34, except this is in the context of the second time God appears to Solomon. In this context, the Lord says to Solomon, If you follow me, I will establish your kingdom forever. Now, this passage actually, you know, quit thinking about 
land covenant and just briefly think about Davidic covenant with me. Okay. We're not there yet. We still got a while before we get there. But this is a, a passage that goes along with the Davidic covenant. Because God is saying to Solomon here, if you follow me, I will establish your kingdom, not your father's kingdom, your kingdom forever. And uh, so I think this is very interesting that he does this. But uh, um, the connection here is if the king goes wrong, if the king goes bad, the people are going to follow the king and they're going to go bad and God will cut them out of the land. He will, he will cut them out of the land. Okay. It, it, whenever it says that, always remember there is the uh, other side of the coin where when repentance takes place, they get back into the land. God will bring them back into the land. Uh, now let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 21. 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 8. Verse 8. And I will not make the feet of Israel wander any more from the land which I gave their fathers. Only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. So here we have fast forwarded to the time of Manasseh, king of Judah, son of Hezekiah, grandfather of Josiah. He is one of the most wicked kings of Judah. And when we take a look at the fuller context, verse before and the verse after, verse 7 and verse 9, we see that uh, the divine intervention, or the, excuse me, the divine intention that Israel should have its own land is where God would dwell with them. And that the land in view is specified by saying the land which I gave their fathers. Again, a reference to the promised land. So the promised land or the land promise, the land covenant, is still in force up to the time of Manasseh. Now, why is that important? Why is that important? Why is it, why is it important to see that the land promise is still in force up to the time of Manasseh? Now, you should have written in your Bible from our last study when Manasseh reigned. What years did Manasseh reign? You didn't write that in your Bible? Okay, okay, there you go. So he, he reigned at the end of the 600s, right? So Manasseh at the end of the 600s. When did Assyria take the northern kingdom into captivity. 722 B.C. That means when Manasseh is on the throne, the northern kingdom has already been taken. They have already gone. And we see that the land promise is still in force even though Israel, the northern kingdom, has already been taken into captivity and Manasseh I would say he's the most wicked king of Judah, 
is on the throne. The land covenant is still in force. Um, now let's turn, let's go way into your new te or, uh, Old Testament and turn all the way to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet, chapter 7. And as you can tell, I'm picking and choosing my passages here. Not doing every passage that mentions the land covenant. We'd, we'd be here all month if we did that. <laughs> but uh, I do want to look at several passages in the book of Jeremiah because they, these passages fit with the end of the kingdom of Judah, the end of the, the southern kingdom. And I want us to see the land covenant still comes up even at this time. So Jeremiah chapter 7, verse one. So I'm, uh, I'm going to read an extended portion here uh, so you get the whole sense. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Okay, repent and you get to stay. Do not trust in these lying words saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. So there was people saying, you know, we can't leave, we can't leave, we can't leave, we gotta, we gotta uh, rebel against Babylon and, and all these things. And that just doesn't go along with Jeremiah's message. Look at verse five. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Now he goes on here, and he says in verse 8, Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know? And then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Has this house which is called by my name become a den of thieves? In your eyes, behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. But go now to my place, which, is in, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these works, says the Lord, and I spoke to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear 
And I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house, which is called by my name, in which you trust, and to this place which I gave to you and your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim. So here, here God has said, look, I've given you the land. You obey, you get to stay in the land. But you're not obeying, you're not trusting in me. You're following all these wicked ways. So I'm going to do to you what I did to Ephraim, what I did to Israel, the northern kingdom. And of course, now since we studied the kings and we saw what happened and how their places of worship were destroyed, utterly destroyed. We see how this plays a part in the message to Judah. So here we see that the Lord is bringing punishment upon Judah for their sins. God has promised Judah that if they repent and turn to him, he will cause them to dwell in this place, in the land that he gave to their fathers forever and ever. So this is not about the keeping of the covenant, but rather it's about... Uh, allowing this generation to enjoy living in the promised land. So God is not adding a condition to the land covenant here. Okay, he's not doing that. He's saying if you want to enjoy the land, you have to obey. But of course, we see even in this chapter and what we know of the Bible, that Judah did not respond properly to the word of the Lord, and the Lord is now going to execute his judgment upon them. So, in Jeremiah, starting here, for the next 23 chapters, the judgment of the Lord is explained. Think about that. The next 23 chapters in the book of Jeremiah are explaining God's judgment. However, as we get to Jeremiah chapter 30, things change. So let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 30. Just think, Jeremiah 8 through 29, judgment. Judgment, judgment, judgment. The end of chapter 7 all the way through the end of chapter 29. It's all about judgment. Chapter 30, verse 1. Chapter 30, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaks the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. So here's the promise that after the captivities, not that if Israel obeys, if Judah obeys, they'll be allowed to come to the land. It's, it says at the end of verse 3, and I will cause them to return to the land. God's going to cause them to return to the land. Uh, the point that we should note here is that this is future. 
from the time of Jeremiah. Israel and Judah, as the entire nation, will be returned to the land because of the promise God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we'll talk a little bit more about this under the heading of the fulfillment. Okay, let's switch books a little bit. Let's go to Ezekiel now. Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 15 and 17. Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 15 and 17. So Ezekiel is an exilic prophet. He's a prophet in exile. Verse 15, son of man, your brethren, your relatives, your countrymen, and all the house of Israel in its entirety are those about whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, get far away from the Lord. This land has been given to us as a possession. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, although I have cast them far off among the Gentiles, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet I shall be a little sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. Therefore, say, thus says the Lord, I will gather you from the peoples, assembly, assemble you from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. So this is coming at a time when they're scattered, when they're Assyrian captivity or Babylonian captivity. Or they have just left the land to get away from the Babylonian rule. So now, while this passage doesn't mention key terms such as, I have given to your fathers, it's nevertheless about the land of Israel. Furthermore, this is about returning the Jews to the land after they have been dispersed among the Gentiles. Again, a big fulfillment chapter. Now turn to chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 28. Verse 28 says... Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. Uh, the point here is that dwelling in the land is viewed as something future from the standpoint of Ezekiel. So this is given during the exilic period after Joshua and after the United Kingdom. So even at the end of the divided kingdom, this is still saying this fulfillment of this land promise is in the future. Uh, it's interesting to note that in this passage, this connects the new covenant, the fulfillment of the new covenant with the fulfillment of the land covenant. And uh, we actually see that... A good cross-reference for that is uh, 
I think it is Deuteronomy chapter 30. Yeah. Good cross-reference would be Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 10. That kind of sets the stage because it talks about the Israelites enjoying the land if they follow and obey God with all their heart and with all their soul. Of course, the problem is they need a new heart. They need a new spirit. But we, we'll see that in the new, new uh, covenant. So now let's, uh, let's, get it, let's go into our New Testament here a little bit. And uh, first passage in the New Testament, it's Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him. This was the 11 disciples. They asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So from verse 2, we know that Jesus is speaking to just the 11 apostles. And what he said to them causes them to ask the question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This indicates several things. First, it shows that the kingdom had not yet been restored. Okay, so Acts chapter 1 verse 6, the kingdom is not restored. Secondly, the apostles are expecting the kingdom to be restored. Okay, their expectation. Now, what Bible did the apostles have? Old Testament. So from the Old Testament, what they learned from Jesus in his about three years of earthly ministry, and particularly what they learned from him in the last 40 days before he ascends, in that time, they, and because of all those things, they have the expectation that the kingdom will be restored. Okay, but it's not restored yet. It hasn't been restored at this time, but they're expecting it. Thirdly, we see that the kingdom involves a land. The kingdom involves land, and therefore the apostles are expecting the Jews to reoccupy the land. Mentioned this, I think it was here. Kingdom and land go together. You can't have a kingdom without a place to rule. A place. Even when we think about God's kingdom, and some people try to say, well, you know, God is ruling and reigning in your heart. Well, okay. But he's also ruling over the entire universe. It's his kingdom. It's a place. It's real. Um, so the kingdom's not just some spiritual thing. You've got to have a sphere of, of rule. You know, we, we just heard about England getting a new king. King Charles III. Well, what if... It was just King Charles. And he was, they just called him king, but he didn't have anything to rule over. What would that be? He wouldn't be a king, would he? No. He would just be Chucky. <laughs> I 
You wouldn't call him King Charles, you'd call him Chucky. So, uh, kingdom implies a land. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 3, verse 21. Acts chapter 3, verse 21. <clears throat> Whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. Now, the phrase of interest to us to hear is until the times of restoration of all things. Now, given the context, we must conclude that the nation of Israel, the restoration of the nation of Israel, is it at least included in all things. At a minimum, it has to. At a minimum, this is talking about Israel, has to be included in the restoration of all things. I mean, this this whole episode here in our Bibles is very Jewish. So it doesn't have any Gentile flavor. No church flavor here yet. Church doesn't even exist yet. Hasn't been formed yet. This is Jewish. So. This is, a, this is a very Jewish word. And that tells us the expectation is while Christ is in heaven, where he's at now, the restoration is not going to happen. As long as he's there, the restoration is not here. All right. Now go to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. I want you to, the reason we're going through all these verses is I want you to see how thoroughly your Bible is filled with mention of the land covenant in some way, shape, or form. It's all the way from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Romans chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. Verses 11 and 12. I say then... Have they stumbled, that's the Jews, have they stumbled that they, the Jews, should fall? Answer, certainly not. Absolutely not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall, if the Jews fall, is riches for the world, Gentiles. And their failure, riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? And when it talks about the fullness there, it's talking about God fulfilling all the covenant promises he's made to Israel. And the, the, the short answer is, whatever advantages the Gentiles receive now because of the Jews' failure to respond to God properly, these advantages will pale in comparison to when the Jews fulfill all that God has for them. When that happens, the blessings on the Gentiles will be exponentially more. They'll just, you, you can't even think about how great they would be. So this too is a section that brings up this idea of fulfillment to what God has said to the Jews. Um, 
if we turn back to chapter 9, verse 4, I'm going off script here. If we, if we turn back to chapter 9, verse 4, it says, who are Israelites? This is Paul's countrymen. Who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption? So you think about the doctrine of adoption. You got to think in Jewish terms about that as well. Um, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory. And what's it say next? The covenants. The giving of the law, the service of God, and what? The promises. Okay. So Paul says these things pertain to the Jews of his day. So that, that tells you the Jews of Paul's day. So this book was written in roughly 56, 57 something like that, A.D. 56 or 57. Christ was crucified when? About A.D. 30, we'll say, uh, give or take a couple years. So this is 25 years later, after the Messiah has already been crucified and the Jews uh, put him there to be crucified. They have already rejected the Messiah, and Paul says, all these things still pertain to Israel in that day. Okay? And then, as you go through chapter 9, 10, 11, you see that this projects even out into the future, to a day that's even future uh, to us. So in these verses, we won't look at any more verses here. In these verses, we find the land promise, the land covenant, it's connected to and part of the Abrahamic covenant and that this covenant goes beyond Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to include the people of Israel from then, from Abraham till now. From then till now, it includes them as the inheritors of the covenant. And so... Uh, this is an important thing for us to realize. This covenant we're looking at, this land covenant, is unconditional, everlasting. It's enjoyed based upon obedience. And it is repeated and reaffirmed throughout the entire Bible. You can't get away from it. Those who reject... Uh, what the Bible says about Israel having a place in the future. They reject that even today that Israel has, uh, is a special people for God. These people cannot deal with the land promise. Because we just went through a small portion of the passages. Now let me ask you. Did all those passages, do you think it was talking about a real land or some spiritual existence? Real land. Real land. You can't get away, you can't get away from it. it. It just hits you all along the way. The only way you can get away from it is say, land doesn't mean land. 
And if you can say land doesn't mean land, then what keeps you from saying covenant doesn't mean covenant? What keeps you from saying that promise doesn't really mean promise? It was just a, if I feel like it. <laughs> you know, you've just lost everything. You've just lost everything when you disregard the meaning of words. Okay, we have uh, about 10 minutes left. So that's the four aspects that we want to remember. Now I want to transition to fulfillment. And I'm just going to be introducing the fulfillment of the land covenant. And the first thing I want you to know is that the land covenant is not fulfilled in Old Testament times. I think we've just established that by looking at the New Testament passages. But it's not fulfilled in the Old Testament times. And I need to bring this up because there are some who believe that the land covenant was either fulfilled in the days of Joshua or fulfilled in the days of Solomon. So there's people who believe that. There's people who believe that today. Let me quote a guy. As to the land, this quote, as to the land, the dominion of David and Solomon extended from the Euphrates to the river of Egypt. First Kings chapter four, verse 21 which also reflects the terms of the covenant. Israel did not come into possession of the land promised to the patriarchs. She possessed it, but not forever. Her possession of the land was forfeited by disobedience, both before and after the days of David and Solomon. Consequently, we may say that in the respects in which the Abrahamic covenant particularly concerned Israel, it can be regarded as, as having been fulfilled centuries before the first advent. So this guy's arguing that it's fulfilled. It was already fulfilled. Okay, and the problem is, as you read statements like that, you can start to see there's truth and error that's all mixed up in it, and it becomes hard to wash out. Why don't we turn to 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 21. That way you got that sitting in front of you. You don't have to hear me read it. You can see it. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 21. So let me give you just a quick uh, brief evaluation on this statement here. Um, just think of the geography geographical description of what's happening here in 1 Kings 4.21. Uh, a quick reading of this passage shows that the claim that the dominion of David and Solomon extended to the Euphrates, uh, from the Euphrates to the riv river Egypt. Now look, look what it says. Look what the verse actually says. Verse 21. So Solomon reigned over all kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Okay, that's what it says. That's what it says. Um, so the boundaries that are mentioned here in this verse is the river, that's the river Euphrates. We know that from verse 24. Just go real quick to verse 24. 
It says, for he had dominion, that's Solomon, had dominion over all the region on this side of the river from Tifsa. Now, Tifsa is a city on the Euphrates River. So right there we see there's this connection between the river and a city on the river. So when it says river in verse 21, this is talking about the Euphrates uh, River. Okay, so his, he had dominion over the, all the region on this side of the river from Tifsa even to Gaza, namely over all the kings on this side of the river, and he had peace on every side all around him. So that's another description of the borders. But we also have to take into account the political description. So the, the geographical description is River Euphrates, land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt. Now, if you remember, I think it's in chapter 15 of Genesis, it doesn't say the border of Egypt. It says the river of Egypt. Are we, are we being too particular to expect this to also say the river of Egypt and not just the border of Egypt? The border of Egypt can change, right? Over years, can go back and forth. The river of Egypt doesn't change. That's the Nile River. So I don't think we're being too, I don't think we're putting too much emphasis on the fact that the words don't match up exactly to what God said. All right? So, but notice the Euphrates River, well, that's certainly mentioned in the description of the borders, but the border of Egypt is not. It's the river of Egypt. Now, notice the political description here. It's in the last part of the verse. They brought tribute. Now, who brought tribute? The kingdoms. Yeah, the kings of the kingdom there at the beginning of the verse. So Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. So the political description here is that um, Solomon controlled these areas, but neither occupied them or possessed them. It says he reigned over all kingdoms. Uh, this phrase indicates to us that there was some kind of, there were kingdoms there who were still occupying land, the land in question that the Jews were supposed to have. In verse 21, it says they brought tribute and served Solomon. Again, bringing tribute is not something a conquered people do. Bringing tribute is something that people do who have some form of independence from their overlord. Okay, when the Jews paid tribute to other nations, the Jews still ran their own country. The tribute was protection money. If you give me tribute, I won't come spank you. That's what it was. Okay, so that means there were kingdoms still in the land that Solomon reigned, that were paying him tribute. In other words, they still controlled their own land. They still collected taxes from their own people. And then that country paid taxes to Solomon. Now, the problem with concluding that this is talking about Israel possessing the land, as God said, is that when God tells him to possess the land... Who does he tell them to kick out of the land? All the inhabitants. Obviously, that's not what has happened 
here. So, you know, when, when this scholar cites uh, 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 21 as evidence that the children of Israel have uh, the promise, the land promise fulfilled to them in Solomon's day, it doesn't add up when you actually start paying attention to what the passage says. Doesn't make sense. Okay, so we're going to stop right there. And we'll come back here at fulfillment next week. And um, it'll take us all our whole hour next week to get through the fulfillment. Okay, so, but you can think about it. And maybe you can read some in your Bible. Um, the land covenant is not fulfilled in the Old Testament. It was not fulfilled in the days of Joshua and was not fulfilled in the days of Solomon. Uh, so a good exercise for you to do would be to go read those passages and uh, the Old Testament that give you the borders of what the children of Israel actually occupied in the book of Joshua. 10, 11, 12, 13. I'm cutting it down for you so you don't have to read the whole thing. Uh, or in the days of David and Solomon. You can look what they occupied. So you can, you can do all that and figure out, does, do these borders match what we've read previously about the land covenant? It's not fulfilled in the Old Testament, not with Joshua, not with Solomon. It's not fulfilled in the New Testament. It's not fulfilled now. Even though there is an Israeli state it's not fulfilled now. You just have to look at a map. Next time you get to a computer with the internet, type in State of Israel. A map's going to come up. And in the middle of that map, it's going to be this thing that looks like this. Right in the middle. That's the Gaza Strip. Disputed territory. So Israel doesn't occupy everything they should occupy even now. So this means the fulfillment is going to be in the future. And uh, so next week we're going to focus on why wasn't the land promise fulfilled under Joshua and under Solomon? Why is it going to be fulfilled in the future? So those are two areas we'll talk about next week. Okay, let me pray, and then if you got questions or comments, I'll take them. Father, we give you thanks for our time this evening. And thank you for allowing us to be here. Uh, thank you for your word and that we have the ability to read it and pay attention to it. See what it says. Help us never to, to be too much in a rush or too distracted to focus on it particularly. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Any questions or comments?